0: Hey there. This is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. Well, this week we're starting a brand new series called Different and it's going to be a different series with a different message, and I hope that you're going to be encouraged because it's a time and a season that we definitely need this message, and I hope that it's going to be a blessing to you and your family, and today we're starting this message with this entitled, Different Faith in Trials. Different Faith in Trials, and different, of course, is coming from the book of First Peter, and it's for those of you who are facing a trial right now. In fact, all of us are still in lockdown, you know, and it's not a pleasant experience. We're going through different seasons, and there's lots of ment- mental health issues that are out there right now, dealing with a different situation. Some of us with financial stress, some of us with emotional stress, some of us with physical stress. You know, a lot of things going on in different areas of our life and so we are under a certain amount of pressure. And I believe that first Peter is so poignant, especially in the time that we're living in right now. So if you're facing a trial or you're ever going to face a trial in your life, First Peter is exactly where we need to go. Sometimes we wish it it seems so unfair, you know, we could wish I get out of this. It doesn't seem right, it doesn't seem fair. We wish we could change that circumstances. Sometimes it feels like we just don't have answers. Wherever we look, it feels like there's nothing. There's no hope or no chance of this thing changing, you know. But First Peter is going to encourage us this morning. And some of us might be facing finite obstacles, as I said, struggling to pay some of your bills. And if you've lost your job, you know, we feel for you. We're praying for you. We pray that God will change that situation Around but we understand it's a difficult circumstance. Some of us are going through battling all kinds of sicknesses, especially those that have gone through cancer. You know I'm a testament to that as well. I've been through that battle as well. You know, making decisions at this time, especially where our future holds is often, you know, under a certain amount of stress and we have to go through a bit of anxiety because we're uncertain of what the future holds. And if you have a child that's going through a difficult season and, you know, know, they're growing up or getting into puberty and they're changing and all these things, it just seems like a lot of different challenges all thrown into this pressure cooker that we're living in in the moment. And so I want to talk about First Peter today, but before that, I just want to set a context to who Peter was writing this letter to, because that'll help us understand why Peter says what he says. It also helps us understand and connect with these people that he's writing to, because they're real people just like you and me. They had real concerns. They had real issues. They had real fears and anxiety about the world that they were living in, living in at that time. And so Peter, of course, is this great apostle of Christ, but he didn't start out that way, right? He was a fisherman, and a lot of people think that he was just an uneducated fisherman, but Peter was actually quite smart. He was an awesome leader. He was a great man, and he had a strong business sense because he was actually running his own business, his own fishing business. So in no means was he ignorant or uneducated in the way that we think. He was quite a smart individual, and you can see that when you read into the text. And so Peter is actually writing to hurting Jesus followers. And this this new movement of Jesus followers that, that, that is just emerging in that culture at that time. And he writes some actually very deep things. He talks about election. He talks about the foreknowledge of God. He talks about sanctification and obedience. He talks about the, the blood of Jesus, you know, the Trinity and grace and revelation and hope. And all of it is just jam-packed into this amazing nugget of a message that he has written in First Peter. And what's most amazing about this is that he's, he's speaking to those that are actually Going through suffering, he's speaking from a very emotional point of view to these people, these early century, first century Christ followers who are just in this turmoil, in this situation. And if you're not sure what the context is, First Peter was written, we believe, around sixty to sixty-five A.D., and is written to people that were actually living in Rome. And if you don't know anything about history, Nero was actually the the patriarch or the you know the ruler of Rome, and he was by any means not a great leader. You know, he was a despot of horrific proportions. It's reported that he did horrible things, and and he was really a bad leader at that time. Even for leaders at that time who were known to be kind of, you know, very ruthless, he was especially more than that. It's reported that he actually killed his own mother, and he definitely killed his first wife, and they probably think he killed his second second wife as well. And he did this a lot to other people you know, around him as well, just kind of pop them off and kill them off. And in, in July 64 A.D., Rome is actually set on fire. And you know, there's a saying, "Rome burned while Nero fiddled playing in his in his you know his instrument." But it's actually believed that. Nero was the one who set fire to this because, you see, he he wanted to build. He had this enthusiasm for building and constructing, and the Senate didn't approve his building ideas, so he actually reported that he set Rome on fire to burn it all down so he could rebuild. And so, everyone's looking for someone to blame because this fire went on for six whole days. They could not extinguish it. You know, you can believe how destructive fires in our times. And at that time, they didn't have modern structures like steel and all those things were mostly made out of wood and things that would burn. So Rome just burnt down and it was a huge mass of destruction and, and people were looking for someone to blame. And who does Nero blame? Well, in the middle of this city was a minority Of Jesus followers and they were strange from the Roman point of view because you know they were talking about someone that had been raised from the dead they were talking about you know drinking blood and eating flesh because they didn't understand communion at that time and so Nero thought it would be a great idea to blame the Christians so that's what he did he blamed the Christians and so the Christians at that time became or came under severe persecution they were ostracized. And you can hear and look through history where they were used as, you know, entertainment. They were thrown into arenas with wild animals and killed and and decapitated and destroyed. And they were mutely mocked. And it was so hurtful and distressing at that time. And you never knew when they would come and take you and throw you into a dungeon or, or sacrifice you in the arena for the pleasure of all those watching. And so these are the type of situations that we're living in. And, and Nero was such a horrific man that you know what he would do? He would take these Christians and he would just cover them with animal blood and animal skins and, and throw them in a cage and he'd have these starving dogs that would then come and maul and rip them apart. And He would just sit and drink and watch this as an example and this was his entertainment. Another time it's reported that he would take other Christians and he would dip them into hot wax and that he would tie them to trees and set them on fire in the evening so he could have dinner. And he could enjoy dinner while these Christians were burning on trees, screaming for their lives. This was the kind of man that he was. He was just a horrific, brutal dictator. And it's at this time that Peter writes this letter to these people that are going into this severe persecution. Their lives were in strife. They did not know if they would be able to be alive tomorrow because who knew when someone would come and catch them and put them under certain kind of lock and jail and throw them into you know, a dungeon or lay, lead them out to arena to be devoured by wild animals. And so at this time, and you can think about their mind frame because they would have had family members, maybe a cousin or niece or nephew or direct family members that they would have lost to this situation and they were living under very fearful conditions. And so as I said, this is the context of Peter's letter. That's the writing that he's writing to. And this is what he said. This is the letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And see, he uses this word foreigners because he wants them to understand that this is not their home. This is not where they are going to be permanently. This is just a temporary place. And he uses this word which means exiles and sojourners and aliens and strangers or foreigners, because he says you don't actually belong here. Don't live like those around you. Don't live with the same mindsets. Don't live with the same perspective. And as followers of Jesus, you're not called to look like. You're not called to act like. You're not called to behave like. You are called to be different because this is not your home. It's just a temporary place that you're dwelling in. We are not here forever. And so therefore, we need to have different values. We need to have different standards. We need to have different goals. And this is exactly what he's telling these people that are going through this extreme stress and anxiety and persecution. See, the important thing is we have to understand that if we are in a trial if you're ever going to face a trial or if you've ever gone through one, you know how difficult it is. But as people of God, we don't have to act like the same as other people who go through trials. And here's the thing, everyone, whether they believe in God or whether they hate God or despise God, all of us go through trials because we all live in the same world. And so what happens to other people happens to us just as much. But Peter is saying to them, you don't have to act behave in the same fashion as they do, we have a different view. We have to act differently because we have a different value system. And that's what he wants them to know. And so this is what we want to talk about today. Different faith in trials. Trials are definitely a challenge in our life. Why would God allow trials? You know, a lot of people ask that question and sometimes as Christ follows, we have the same question. Why would God allow these things to come into my life? And if you're in the middle of one right now, I know how difficult it is because I've been through them. All of us have been through them. But what I want you to look at is understand that faith is being tested, and that's what Peter writes to these Christ followers and tells them in First Peter one six and seven. This is what he says: So be truly glad. Now think about that for a second. Who are, who is he writing to? These people that are in extreme persecution and fear for their life, and he says this. You know, it's, it would seem unrealistic, but that's exactly what Peter says. So truly be glad. Why you would? Why would he say that? there is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure trials for a little while, he's saying, yes, we all go through that. We all have to endure trials. But think about the joy that's coming in front of that or behind that. These trials will show, he says, your faith is genuine. The trial is there to prove your faith. The trial is there to test your faith. And so Think about it in this fashion. If there is a true faith or a genuine faith, there must also be a false faith or a counterfeit faith. Because if you have a genuine article, it's measured against what's fake. You know, what's what's fake is measured against what's true. And in the same sense, he says we have a genuine faith. So if Peter says there's a genuine faith, the obvious thing is there must be a counterfeit. There must be a faith, a fake faith. You know, one of the challenges that I see in the church today is that there is false faith. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm just going to be transparent. I'm going to be brutally honest like Peter's brutally honest. You know, I'm going to state to you that there's trials in our life and some of us we give up on the trials. Our faith is tested and we fail. We fail in that. We throw in the towel, as I say often. You know, we give up on God. We give up and say, this is not for me. We don't make it down the line. The trial we are tested in often leads to us walking away because our faith is challenged to such an extent that we give up. Some of the things that we believed, or some of the things that we question, some of the things that we struggle with come into that equation and we say, you know, I can't resolve this. I can't come to some sort of proper resolution and therefore my faith is not strong enough. And so that's what I see. You know, I see that happen in the church quite a bit. I've been a Christ follower for a number of years, more than 20 years. And I've seen people who start off the race great, but then after a little trial, they give up and they throw in the towel and say, you know what, this is not for me. And Jesus actually talked about that. But here's what a false faith is. And I think there's actually three aspects of that false faith. Number one, there's inherited faith that often leads to false faith. What is inherited faith? It's something that we were brought up in. This is what happened. You know, we automatically became that because our parents was that, and that happened to me. You know, I grew up in a supposed Christian home we believed we were Christian. Mike, if everyone asked me, are you a Christian? Or what do you believe in? I say, oh, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, you know. But what was my faith? Well, I grew up in a Christian home. So my experience of Christianity was going to church once a year, you know, saying I believe in God, but doing whatever I want, acting whatever I wanted, doing anything that I chose to do in my life and not really reading the Bible, not reading anything about God, but just saying, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. And so when trials come... I struggled with that. And that's exactly what false faith is. It's inherited faith. You know, we're raised in certain environments and we inherit those beliefs because that's what it was. But when we're challenged with those beliefs in the face of the reality of our lives, then we question, I'm not sure what I believe anymore. And so there's inherited faith. Then there's shallow faith. And as I said before, this is what Jesus referenced about when he talked about a sower going out to sow seeds. And he says the seed will fall on good ground, some will fall on hard ground, some in thorns, some in, you know, the birds there will eat it up. And he talked about the shallowness of faith. It does not take root. There's no roots to this faith. And the worries of life, you know, the deceitfulness of wealth, desires of what the world offers choke out and push away our faith. And so this is true as well. Some of us won't be engaged in the same way we are as we are now. In fact, moving backwards, we're in this sort of lock, lockdown for about six months now. And some of us are not engaged in the same way we were before lockdown. You know, we're not engaged in the sense that we don't wake up and connect online on Sunday at 10 a.m. We don't prioritize that. We don't put that as something. But yet before we acted that way, we believed a certain way, we did it. But now when there's less demand on what you need to do, you don't have to get up. You don't have to do anything. You just need to be, you know, get up at 9.58 and put on your computer and be able to watch. And still we are not engaged as much as we are. We're not doing it the same way. And that's brutally honest, you know. And so moving down the line, six months down the line, I don't think a lot of us are going to be engaged in the same way as well because we start to drift. If there's no anchor in our life, if we're not anchored, if there's no roots of our relationship with Jesus, if we're not genuine in our faith, we drift because we don't have an anchor to root us in what we believe. And so the life and circumstance of life comes as waves and shifts us and we move, and before we realise it, we are far off from where we were. And sometimes we don't even think about that. And that's reality. I've seen it so many times in life. If we don't have solid roots, if we don't have deep roots, we drift. You know, one great example of this, and I, I've challenged the church, and I'm challenging you transformers, and I've challenged people right across you know, the world, wherever you're watching from, be engaged with what's happening in your community. Be engaged with what's happening in your Christ-following community. Be engaged with fellow transformers wherever you are. We have eLife, for example, and I, I want to commend all the eLife leaders for being a diligent you know, bunch of people and leading faithfully through this crisis, but a lot of you are not engaged in eLife, and there's less requirement, as I said before. You don't have to you know, get up and dress and drive somewhere to meet someone. You can just log on and connect with someone. You don't have to be isolated. You don't have to feel alone, and you say, well, there's a bunch of weird people, but you don't have to engage with them in the same way if they were in person. You could be part of an online community that's about 45 minutes of your week that's going to benefit you, that's going to bless you, that's going to encourage you, that's going to lift you up, but some of us still are not engaged in it because sometimes we question, and I'm here to question you and challenge you, are your roots deep enough that when the storms of life come, you're not taken away, you don't drift? And so we talked about inherited faith, shallow faith, And the third one is conditional faith. All of these are, I believe, false faiths. What is conditional faith? Well, it's based on conditions. You know, if God does this for me, then I'll do that. But if God gives me, you know, money in my bank, then I'll show up on Sunday. If God does this for me, then I'll do that. You know, you struggle with those things. You know, how can I believe in God if I lost my job? How can I believe in God if I'm going through this bit of sickness in my life? I'm struggling with my finances. Why would God deprive me of a job? Why would God take away this? Why would God take away that? It's based on conditions. How can I believe in a God that does that? See, trial, trials come to test our faith. And if there's a genuine faith, then there must be false faith. And so I want to ask you to look into this. How does God... God used trials in our life. Because he does. That's the reality of the situation. And so number one, trials reveal your faith. Trials reveal your faith. And so Peter says this in 1 Peter 1 verse 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. That's exactly what he says. And that's what we were referencing. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. We often think that when a trial comes into our life, that we've done something wrong, that God is punishing us, that we have been horrible, or we've done something really bad to deserve this sort of bad thing in our life. And that's not true at all. That's completely opposite to the structure and the meaning of what Peter is trying to communicate to us. You know, a faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that can be tested is a faith that can be trusted. If there's nothing in your life to prove what you believe in, how do you know what you believe in? It's never been tested and I can say, well, I believe in this, and I believe in that, but I've never done anything to prove that faith, then there's no depth or truthfulness or greatness to my faith. It's never been tested. And so that's what Peter's trying to communicate. He says, to show that your faith is genuine. How can Peter say this? Isn't this an appalling statement? Well, Peter says this because of his experience his experience with Jesus. You would recall at a time that Peter was this gung-ho fisherman. You know, he would just shoot from the hip. He would be this guy who would say anything and do anything. He was rough, you know. He would do a bunch of stuff. And so if you look in Luke 22, there's this amazing experience that Jesus and Peter have. And as this is it. It says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. That's what Jesus told Peter. And that's exactly what Peter is saying to the rest of the Christ followers. Because you see, he was tested. Peter had a massive test. Peter was the one who stood up to Jesus and said, you know, all these other guys, they're not really followers of you, Jesus. I got your back. No matter what happens, I'll always be there for you. I will never deny you. I'll never walk away from you. I'm just going to be your cheering squad all the time. And what I want you to understand is the enemy is always looking for opportunities. He's always planning. He's always scheming to take you away from God. So he will throw things at you to test your faith. See, early in in Peter's walk, he was probably an obnoxious guy. You know, when he just started with following Jesus, he was probably obnoxious. He was impulsive. He was definitely cocky. He was very inconsistent in what he believed. But later in his years, you know, when after, you know, he had this amazing experience, he was faithful, he was devoted, he was patient, and he was bold he said, Jesus, I will never forsake you or deny you. But that's exactly what happened. You know, this little girl came to him when he was under pressure and said, hey, I recognize you. Aren't you one of those Jesus follower guys? And Peter said, oh, no, no, no. I would never do that. I never do that. And he denied Jesus three times. And then he broke down and cried when he realized what he had done. You know, before the resurrection of Jesus, Peter was fearful. He was anxious. He ran away. He denied Christ. But after this amazing experience of knowing that Jesus came from the grave, came back alive, that his faith was built on something, after the resurrection, Peter was this amazing, fearless leader. And he was the one who stood up, you know, on the day of Pentecost and preached with boldness, declaring Jesus. And 3,000 people followed Jesus that day and were baptized because of Peter's boldness and his fearfulness fearlessness when he was fearful and so he writes these things based on his experience because he was tested he went through the trials and he was proved his faith proved it was strong And it was built upon the rock-solidness of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, James, the brother of Jesus, we had a series on James earlier. James says the same thing, the same vein of thought, because he says in James 1, 2, and 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. You see, what we have to understand is that pain wrecks us. Trials test us. We go through a whole bunch of things, but I want to promise you this. There's a purpose in your pain. God never wastes a hurt because there's always purpose in the pain. And so number two is this. Trials draw you closer to God. Trials draw you closer to God. And Peter, of course, knows this. He understands that he went through it and therefore he communicates this again in 1 Peter 1 verses 8 and 9. He says, you love God even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with glorious inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. You know, as Jesus followers, we know that our joy does not come from the world. That's everything that we go through presently. That's not where our source of joy rests. Our source of joy comes from heaven. It comes from that place that is indescribable. And we have this indescribable, Peter says, glorious, inexpressible joy that floods into us. Even in the middle of trials, even in the middle of storms, even in the middle of the most hurtful situations, we can still experience the profound, inexplainable joy of God, because it goes beyond what we can understand. It goes beyond natural, rational explanations, because it's a joy that's from heavenward towards us, a joy and a peace that is beyond explaining in words. And so Peter says the reward of salvation. The reward is the salvation of our soul. That's the joy that we have. And that's the gospel, isn't it? The gospel is the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news. And what is the good news? And I want you to understand this. The good news isn't that God saves us from trials. The good news is that God saves us from our sins. God, in fact, Jesus never said that you will never have headaches. He never said that you will never have a stressful situation, he never said that you will never be sick or you won't suffer financial difficulties or relationship problems, that you won't have annoying people in your life, irritating people in your life, stressful people in your life. He never said that you'll have a, not never have a bad boss that puts pressure on you, that causes you to do things that you shouldn't be doing. He never said that you would not have a crazy government that puts all kind of restrictions in place. He never said any of that stuff at all. In fact, in fact this is what jesus did say in john 16 verse 33 he says this in this world you will have trouble that's exactly what jesus says you're not immune from trouble you're not immune from trials in this world you will have trouble think about the people that peter was actually writing these letters to they were in fear for their life fear of their livelihood their relatives probably were killed and made an exhibition of they were living under more stressful situations than we were. And Paul and Peter says, you have a joy and a reward. And that reward is salvation. In fact, this is what Jesus says in that exact same verse. I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. In this world you will have troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that comforting? That's exactly what Jesus said. There's going to be troubles, but if you're in me, and this is for all the Jesus followers, all the Christ followers, you have this assurance. If you are genuinely in Jesus, if you're rooted in him, if you have a genuine faith, it doesn't matter what trials you go through, you will face them. They will be difficult. They will be hard. But there's a joy of unexplained joy that comes because we have salvation of our souls we have this future joy that no one can take away and we can have joy even in our present time so the good news is that he does not take away the trials he does not save us from trouble he saves us from our sin you know people often say hey didn't the bible say god won't put more on you than you could handle I'm pretty sure it says that. You know, I've heard that a lot. God won't put stuff on you more than you can handle. And I think that's actually a misinterpretation of the verse 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That's that's not exactly what it says. It says that God will never tempt you with more than you can handle. And so the reality is that I often think that God does put things in our life more than we can handle. Because you know why? It teaches us to lean on Him more. It teaches us to depend on Him. So we don't think about, you know, I can handle this. I can do this by myself. I don't need anyone. You know, when we want to do things, I don't need your help. I can take care of this myself. Because I can handle this. I know I can handle this. I don't need any help. But I think when God does put things more than we can handle, it teaches us dependence. It teaches us to lean on Him. It teaches us to call out to Jesus in a time of desperation. That when we're at our lowest depths, and sometimes God allows trials to come into our life so we can call on him, we can depend on him, and we can learn that it's not about us, but it's about going through life, leaning and depending on Jesus Christ. As you grow in your walk with Christ, you will learn that your dependence is really upon him, and not on yourself. And then you will have joy, a glorious joy, a rejoicing and inexpressible joy because you know regardless of what happens in your life, you can lean on, you can trust, you can depend on the solid rock which is Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what Jesus called Peter. He says, you are the rock. You know, you are a rock. He changed his name. And so it's that rock. Jesus is the rock that's in our life. Does that mean that we don't have trials? Does that mean that we won't be affected by disease? Does that mean that we won't have any problems in our life? Absolutely not. In fact, we go through tremendous situations, and that's exactly who those believers were. That's what they were going through. They were blamed for things that that was not their fault. They were persecuted. They were killed. They were destroyed. They were made an example of. They lost their lives because they were blamed for things that was not their fault. A few years ago, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. And that was a big blow. It was a blow to her. It was a blow to us because, you know, losing your mom is a big hurdle in your life. All of us have to go through at some point. But we were not ready to do that right then. You know, we went to the doctor and the doctors didn't give us a, a good diagnosis. In fact, she said, you know, this is not good at all. You have to prepare yourself because I don't think you're going to make it out of this. That was definitely a struggle for our life, a challenge, a trial. Words couldn't express what we all went through, especially my mom. But one thing about my mother is that she is a prayer warrior. She prays. We prayed, but she prays. I don't know how to describe that. She's an amazing prayer warrior. She goes into a closet. She locks the door, and she prays, and she believes, and she stands in the Word of God. And she stood on the Word of God. You know. And sometimes there was hopelessness there was anxiety, there was stress, there was fear, because we don't know what tomorrow holds. But in spite of all this, we had an assurance that we are with Christ, that no matter what happens, we will always be with Christ, and we will see each other again. And it took a few years, but now she's cancer-free, praise God. But was it hard? Definitely. Was it a trial? Certainly. Was there hope? Of course. But there were times where there was depression. She went into depression. She, went, she had a feeling of hopelessness. She had a feeling where, you know, what's going to happen? I want to be with my kids. I want to be with my husband. All of those emotions because we're human. We have genuine human emotions. All of that comes into our life. But when we learn to lean upon God, let our faith grow deep into the solid bedrock that is Jesus Christ the trials of life are not going to shake us and pull us out and uproot us and throw us into the fire. They're going to prove that we have strong roots. You know, when the storm comes and you have a tree that's rooted and grounded, the storm proves the solid rock of the tree. It tests the tree to see if it's bound, if it's rooted in solid ground. And if it's not, it topples over and eventually it dies. But if it's rooted, the storm can uproot it. It proves the strength of its roots. And so what we have to understand as Christ follows, and all those out there that might not be Jesus' followers, I want you to understand this. My faith isn't based on what I see. My faith is based on who God is. And he is God in the middle of the storm. And he is God in the middle of the trial. And he is God no matter what happens, because he is the joy of our life. We have a we have a faith, but we do hurt. We have a hope, but we sometimes have anxiety. We have to learn to take a step towards Him. And all of those of you who are going through a trial, whether you follow Jesus, whether you acknowledge Him or not, I want you to make a decision, and that is to take a step towards Jesus. If you don't know Him, I want to share with you that there is a genuineness of peace and joy that can surpass the trial. But it's only found in Jesus. And this is exactly what Peter says. This is exactly, in fact, what Jesus says. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you have peace. The world will always give you trouble. And he says this, in the world you will always have trouble. You will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So you're facing a trial because you live in a real world. You're facing a trial because we are surrounded by situations that are out of our control. But that's why you need to come to Jesus. Because he is the joy of salvation in the middle of the storm. He can give us a joy in the middle of our trial. He can give us an inexpressible peace in the middle of our storm. We can have this because of Jesus, because we put our faith and trust in him. Let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, Father, we thank you right now. We thank you that we have this solid rock faith that can be rooted and grounded into you. That in the middle of every storm, in the middle of every circumstance, in the middle of the trial, we have the joy of salvation. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have our best interests at heart, that you are genuinely interested in us because you love us, you care about us, and you've planned for us. And so I pray for every single Christ follower out there, that might be going through a trial, that might be going through difficult circumstances, that you inform them, you console them, that you continue to just help them understand that it's the trial of their faith that proves the genuineness of their faith. It's not come to pull them away or cast them aside, but it's there to prove and test the strength of their faith. And for all those that are not Christ followers, I pray right now that they will take a step towards you that they understand or they may understand that they can have peace, that they can have joy in the middle of the trials. And we who know you rejoice in that fact that we can celebrate in the middle of our trials because we do have joy and we do have peace. We thank you right now. We honor you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hello again, and thank you so much for listening.